All right, in Jude, let's read verses 1 through 4. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, in, in, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto these saints. For there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jude, this is Jude who was in a natural sense, the brother of the Lord, a half-brother of the Lord. Joseph and, and Mary were his mother and father. And it's interesting about Jude that he was not one of the twelve disciples. He was not even a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ until after the resurrection. But he became a staunch uh, follower of the Lord. And we can read it. This is, is what he's written here. But we're going to talk about primarily verse 3. So you can look at it. You can highlight it in your Bible. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It's common Salvation is common in the sense that it's shared by all that believe. There's nothing different about my salvation than someone a thousand years ago or you know, male or female or anything like that. It's a common salvation. It was needful. Jude says it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you for what purpose that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to these saints. Jude says this was something that was needful. Now, we know all scripture is needful, but Jude and he, this is all that we know that he wrote in the Bible. Uh, he says it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you for what purpose that you would earnestly contend for. Those two words earnestly contend really make up one word. They really make up one definition of one word. It means to struggle for. Earnestly contend. Put them together and you look it up. It means to earnestly contend for means to earnestly struggle for. What are we struggling for? What are Christians to struggle for? And I think it's important when the Bible says ought to, that you ought to or something. When the, when the Bible's speaking that way, that means we have an obligation. That means we have an instruction from the Lord. We have a commandment. Uh, from our God and Savior who is above us, who is Lord of our lives. And it's not just a bunch of suggestions. It's not just a bunch. Life is full of suggestions, and I don't think it matters sometimes. You choose blue or red or whatever in, in, in life. But the things that God has spoken to us clearly in His Word, He's not suggesting it. He's saying, this is, this is what my disciples do. This is what my people are called to do. Judas saying, through, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was needful me to, for me to write this to you to exhort those that share this common salvation of faith in Jesus Christ, this new life, this gift of eternal life in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you should earnestly contend for the faith, not any old faith, but the faith which was once delivered to the saints. What faith is that? That's the faith that was delivered to the saints. That is the faith and the gospel that we have and the word of God that we had, have that we've been given. I want to read this and just if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. I'm going to read it for time's sake. Moreover, brethren, 
I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received. You know what Paul is saying? The gospel that I brought to you, Corinthians, the same one I brought to Ephesus and Thessalonica, the different places I went, I declared unto you what I, I delivered unto you what I had first also received. This is the common salvation. This is the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Paul didn't invent it. Paul didn't even know the Lord. On the road to Damascus, he's on his way to persecute Christians and those that followed this way. He didn't come up with it. He received it. It was delivered unto him. And it's been delivered unto us. And that's what we preach. That's what we proclaim. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is what we, we contend for. We don't contend earnestly for and struggle for any old faith, any old nuance of doctrine or something like that. We contend for the faith. We, continue, uh, we contend not for some new revelation, from a spirit or from man. And, and so many people that are popular and they get followings, it's because they come up with a new revelation. Satan may have given them a new revelation or they thought it up on the invention of their own heart. It's only other two sources. We have the Lord who can speak to us and He speaks to us through His Word and by His Spirit. We have the devil and seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And then we have just the invention of men's own hearts. Wicked imaginations of men's own hearts. And I would say Satan plays a part in that. But we don't contend for those things, a new revelation by man or by spirit, but we contend for the faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the eternal word of Almighty God, which is forever settled in heaven. Isn't that amazing that this word is forever settled in heaven? It's attacked, it's undermined, and so forth, and yet it just stands. It stands from Genesis to Revelation. It stands complete from Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book of Revelation. And people try to subtract from it and add to it and add their own personal touch to it and make it something else for whatever the reason would be. It's not of God. And that we don't contend for that. That's not what we're contending for. We're contending for this faith. We're contending for the faith. For the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. And, and what are we contending for? We're contending for the truth. I believe when we say we're contending for the faith, this common faith, we're contending for the truth. The truth specifically of not scientific truth and things like that. We're contending for the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. All that He is. All that Jesus is, we contend for that. Well, I believe he was a good man, but I don't believe he was God. No, I contend for that. He was God in the flesh. The Bible says, says so. Uh, all that he did. Well, I, he died on the cross for our sins. Well, I think he died and, and showed us a better way, but didn't really do anything significant or spiritual for us. No, I'm going to contend for that. That he purchased my eternal redemption on the cross. See, this, this is what we're talking about. All that the truth, all that he did, all that he accomplished, all that he, uh, he professes, all that he said he would do, all that he requires of men, we, re we contend for this and we fight for this. 
what we don't contend for, we're not to contend for uh, our own pet teachings, our own pet doctrines that we've set up over here and say, this, this is my little take on Christianity. And I earnestly contend for that. We don't do that. That's not what Jude said. That's not what the Word of God says. We don't contend for our own opinions. We don't earnestly contend for, and, and nor is the church of God compelled or instructed to contend for our own opinions, our own traditions, uh, the, the parts of the Scripture we like and then kind of disregard or neglect the parts we don't like. Don't we see this? This is just this is where people get off. This is where people get off into and break off and then they start something new or different. And it's, this is real divisions and heresies and so forth that come and, and false doctrines and so forth can take a, an innocent scripture that's good and build your whole faith around that scripture where it's out of balance with the, con, the entirety of the Bible. People who reject the Old Testament now. Y'all know that that's going on a lot. It's going on right here in the city. It's going on where people totally have a hatred almost. And I would say almost. They, they have a disdain for the Old Testament because in their mind, the Old Testament just represents in their minds legalism and so forth. Where the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And when that Scripture was given in 2 Timothy 3, uh, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for... for uh, Doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, mature, right? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. When that scripture was given, most of the New Testament or all of the New Testament was not even finished written, being written. So what was he talking about? All scripture. All scripture means all scripture. Am I under the law? No. Do I want to be under the law? No. Was anybody ever saved by keeping the law? No. We're saved. We're saved by the grace of God. I understand that. But I don't turn back towards that and hate it. My Lord and Savior came. He's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All those types and shadows of the, the Levitical law and so forth pointed to Christ. Did men abuse the law? Did men pervert the law? Did men add to the law? Their, their traditions and things that God didn't intend... Did, did men rely upon their heritage and the law to get them to heaven when it wouldn't? Yes, they did all those things. That's man's perversion of it. God says in Romans 7, the law is good, it's just, it's holy. New Testament, Romans 7, Paul said, the law is good, it's just, it's holy. What, what's my point? The point is that we are earnestly contend for the faith. That means the whole truth of what's in Jesus Christ. What his word says, we we don't contend for just the parts we like and fight, you know, tooth and nail like so many people do for the things that I've chosen to highlight and, and to diminish the things I've chosen to diminish. We need to rightly divide the word of God. That's what the Bible says. And the Holy Ghost is able to do that. Amen. We absolutely do. And are commanded to do what God's word says. And we're to contend for the faith. The faith is this common salvation. I want to read this from 1 Peter. I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1, 19-21. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed. 
as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first. What do we know first? Peter, what are you telling us? That no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. We're talking this morning about what do we contend for and what we don't contend for. The Bible says we're earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. No prophecy of Scripture, none of them, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time, in old time by the will of man, not written by man, it wasn't God's will to give us the Scriptures, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost steered them is another way. It's like wind, a wind blowing to fill up the sails of a ship. And it's going to blow it that direction. That's what it means when it says that holy men, first of all, they knew God and they were holy. Even in the Old Testament saints, okay, they knew God. They were moved, as the Holy Ghost moved them. That's what they spoke and wrote. And that's the scriptures that we have. It was not the invention of men. And this is all of scripture, as I said, not just the parts we like, not just the, the parts that, that fit with our theology. Listen, God is the author of scripture. Who's the author of it? God is. We have people like Hosea and Amos and David and Samuel and Moses and different people that wrote scriptures and Paul and John and different ones through the Bible. But the Lord Almighty is the author of Scripture and the Lord Almighty is the interpreter of Scripture. Don't forget this. I think people forget it sometimes. I think you have to go to a seminary and sit under certain people. And I'm not against seminary. Against some of what's taught in seminaries, okay? I'm simply saying people are of the mindset that you have to go be taught by somebody that is more educated than you to possibly understand the Bible. That would be a classist type of system. And God doesn't operate that way. He spoke to simple people. The people He chose to be His disciples, tax collectors and fishermen. The people in the Old Testament, a fig picker, you know, and a cattle rancher. And the different people He picked in the Old Testament to give prophecy to. And, and He gave them understanding of the, the Scriptures. And so, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Private means pertaining to one's own self. Interpretation means explanation or application. So there's no Scripture in the Bible, none, that is of any of my own self, my own way to interpret it, or my own way to apply it. My own way to interpret it or to apply it. Okay? None. It's not given by that. The Lord is the author of His Scripture. He is the interpreter of the Scriptures to mankind. How was He able to do that? It seems like almost too big a thing to take the mysteries of God, the eternal mysteries of Christ and so forth, and reveal them to men and give men proper understanding. But He can do it, right? He does it by the Word of God that He's given us, and He does it by His Holy Spirit. He does it by the Word of God and He does it by the Holy Spirit. And we're taught and we learn. We're under the tutelage of the Holy Ghost. We're under the tutelage of a good pastor, if that's the case, a good Sunday school teachers. And, and, and most of all, all of that is directed by the Holy Spirit. When it's not directed by the Holy Spirit, or we come up with a different translation of the Bible that waters it down or changes the meaning, then we're already off. 
Roddy off course. But we take the Word of God as He gave it to us and we were led by the Holy Spirit. We can be taught. There is such a thing as the priesthood of the believer. Many of us stepped out of things that we, we saw that were not of God and stepped in because we saw it was not of God. Even when leadership says it was, said it was of God and because we, we were, were have the priest of the believer. It's not an arrogance. It's not that I'm better than someone else. I'm over this person and they're, they're, you know, they're under me and, and I know more than they do. It's simply we can be led by the Holy Ghost and the Word of God. And we are supposed to be led by the Holy Ghost in the Word of God. And we are to contend for that. Contend for it. Struggle for it. Fight for it. Until we're called home. Contend for the truth as it is in Christ. And so, the Lord reveals truth. The Lord's not confused. The Lord's not uncertain about what's truth and a proper interpretation of Scripture. Or what about this doctrine? He's not confused. He's not in error. He's not out of balance. But we all agree that the Lord is not. He's not out of balance. He's not confused. He's not in error. He's got it perfect. And, he's, he, and he, he is the truth and He walks in truth. He is the truth. And here's what I say that I think is an amazing thing and I believe it. Every true believer, every true believer can be taught by the Holy Ghost and we can walk in this truth and we can be governed by the truth because God can teach us. It's a glorious fact. I think it's almost so simple that some people almost don't believe it. Well, you don't know the Hebrew good enough. Well, then we can learn the Hebrew a little better. And the Greek, we can learn that better. If you haven't been to seminary, you haven't been to this, you haven't been to... Seminary is going to be other people though, right? Isn't it other human beings? It might be wonderful. Some are wonderful. I, I study books by people. But I can tell you this, if I didn't have one book and I just had this and my knees to bow down and pray and seek the Lord, I know He'll lead me and guide me. I do go to books. You know when I go to books? I go to books after I've exhausted me and Jesus in our prayer time. And I want to learn a little bit about the culture here. I want to learn some definitions here. Oh, or this is a good cross-reference. This example in the Old Testament speaks of a New Testament truth and things like that. I don't go to a book to find out truth. I go to the Bible and I go to the Lord to find out truth. I don't go to a book to find out correct doctrine. I go to the Bible to find out correct doctrine. And I go to the Lord. I don't need those things, nor do you. There's the priesthood of the believer. If God's given us, and there's wonderful Christian authors, there's wonderful pastors who have written books and things like that. I don't please don't get me wrong. I wrote two little books, Foundations One and Foundations Two. They're out in the, in the foyer. But you don't have to have those things. They're supplements. They're helpful things. They're not new. They're not something new that's going to tell you a new truth and clear up something you never understood before, you know, so to speak. And and so we 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 don't have a private interpretation of scripture. We're to contend for this faith, and you can understand the faith. What am I going to contend for? Who's to say who's right and who's wrong within the church world? God is. God is to say who's right or who's wrong. You know that everybody and every doctrine is not correct. Do I hate the people that have wrong doctrine? No. Do I despise them? No. Do I ridicule them because they have a wrong doctrine? Do I, uh, you know, 
belittle them because they have a wrong doctrine? No, I do not. But who's to say who's right or wrong? Every doctrine is not right. Every doctrine within the, the big heading of Christianity is not right. And we're to earnestly contend for the faith and to know what's the truth and what's the faith. We have to be true, walking closely with the Lord. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. And the voice of a stranger will he not follow. So if I told you, look, if you want to get truth, you have to be in Cornerstone. And you have to follow Pastor Randy Courier. You better run. Okay? You better run. Because this is not the soul. We're not the soul keepers of truth. God is the soul keepers of truth. His Word and His Holy Spirit. But I can tell you that everybody out there doesn't preach the truth. Everybody doesn't walk in the truth. Everybody doesn't continue in sound doctrine. We can be filled with the Spirit of God. We can walk filled with the Holy Spirit. We can walk in truth and continue in truth. And guess what? We can walk in it in a wonderful way, in a wonderfully mature, consistent way to walk in the truth. We don't always do it. We have to ask God to forgive us. And we might possibly get down a road and find out from the Lord, I always believe this and God taught me and showed me that what I believed on that, on that part of Scripture was wrong. And He taught me and showed me. Praise God, He's gentle. He corrects us. He teaches us. All I'm trying to say to you this morning, there is a truth. It's not ambiguous. It's not, well, this church says this and we've got to give them their due over there and this one says that and we have to respect that. No, we, we don't. We have to be Christ-like in the sense of our attitude towards them and we have to be patient, but I don't accept a false thing as being true because they hold to it over there. I am to earnestly contend for the faith. I'm called to do that. It's one of my jobs as a soldier. One of my responsibilities. And praise God, He enables us to do it. So the, the question is, how can I be sure that I'm walking in truth so that I'm not arrogant and I'm standing, I don't want to stand for something that's incorrect and find out all along they were right and I was wrong. We can be led by the Holy Ghost. If you hear me talk a lot about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, praying. We have a prayer meeting tonight at 6. Why do we do these things? Because we want to stay close to Jesus. Because I want to be more like Christ. I need to be empowered and strengthened to live this life and to walk it out. The Lord's not confused about it. We can be led by God's Spirit. John 7, 16 and 17. Jesus answered them, and said, my doctrine is not my own, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Even Jesus said, my doctrine is not my own. It's not mine to play with. It's not mine to bend on. It's not mine to compromise, to get along with this guy over here. Jesus said, my doctrine is not my own. Even the Lord Jesus said, it's not my own. It's, it's the, my doctrine is my Father's who sent me. And this is an amazing thing. We're talking about how can every believer know that they're in the truth? If any man will do his will. That, that's, a lot of people don't. A lot of people are in Christianity, so to speak. They don't do the will of God. Therefore, they don't know His doctrine when they see it. 
They follow in something false, thinking that they're in something real. They reject something real, thinking that it's false. Why? If any man will do his will, doing, obeying, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God. Isn't that amazing scripture? Jesus said, if any man will do his will, he'll know the doctrine. Obey God. You know what I always say? Obey the light you've been given. I've been only given a little double A flashlight, you know? Then walk walk in the light of a little double A flashlight. Guess what the Lord's going to do? He's going to expand the light. He's going to increase the light. He will give you more. Study. Seek His face. Call upon the Lord. Walk in what you know to be true. Listen, walk in it. Don't just keep it here in your mind. And I've got all my doctrines in the rapture and all my eschatology lined up perfectly. Walk in it. Walk in it. Seeing that all these things are going to happen, Peter says, what manner of men ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, hastening as appearing? Seeing that these end times things are going to happen, like the Bible says, you it ought to change your life and my life. It's not enough that we hold to a right doctrine. We have to. We have to walk in it. And if we'll walk in it, then we'll know the doctrine better. We'll know if we're in the will of God. And so I want to talk about this for just a moment here this morning. There's a, there's a few things. We, we don't always walk perfectly in what we know to be true. I don't. It's called sin. I ask God to forgive me when I sin. Okay? But I still can perfectly know what I know. Does that make sense? I know I was wrong. So I ask God to forgive me. I'm going to make a few simple points this morning. From the, from the Bible and from the Spirit of God, the eternal Spirit, the Holy Ghost, who's the Spirit of truth, who will lead us into all truth, you and I do know what we do know. Does that make sense? It's a simple truth. You do know what you do know. You do know for a fact in your heart of hearts what God has graciously revealed to you. Right? In other words, you know He was born of a virgin. You know He's the only way, the truth, that you can't follow Allah and, and, and Muhammad and get to heaven. You know that in your heart of hearts. Walk in what you know. Earnestly contend for what you do know. Stand upon what you know. And it would be an error of me, it would be ungodly of me to act like I don't know it. You Christians think you've got the only answer and you're right? Yes. Not arrogant about it, but I would be. It'd be sinful of me to say I don't believe it. It'd be sinful of me to not stand in that truth that He's the way, the truth, and the life. You understand what I'm saying? So there's almost this reverse kind of thing that's going on. It's not strengthening strengthening the church right now. Listen, we are not to accept. This is pretty much the crux of this message this morning. We are not to accept every teaching. Come up within the heading of Christianity, the big umbrella. And under that big umbrella, there's a lot of things. There's truth in there because it's Christianity, and there's a lot of other stuff mixed with it. So, under the big heading of what's called Christianity, just go look at a Christian bookstore. They don't have them here anymore. Uh, you're going to find a lot of things. You'll find some good stuff, and you're going to find some, a lot of flaky stuff, right? So if it's all going to be called Christian, it's all going to be in a Christian bookstore and so forth and Christian resources. But you and I are absolutely not to 
accept every teaching as being valid. Because just simply because some other quote Christian holds holds to it very strongly. We're not to accept it as being equally valid as the truth that the Lord has placed us in. This is very important. And at the same time, you and I should not act or behave like we don't believe the truth. Like we're unsure of it. We're to be confident in the truth that we have. And what you do know. Okay? I say it all the time. There are things in scriptures I don't get. In the scriptures I don't get. There's things I don't really understand. I wouldn't see anything fundamental. Nothing like that. But there are little things still. I'll read it. And I'll read it. And I'll just say, I don't know why God did it that way. I don't understand. I say it all the time. Why was David? David had all these wives and concubines. And and yet in Genesis he says, Man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the two, two shall be one flesh. And so I don't understand that. And so and I can hear explanations about that. And I'm open to hear explanations about that. And so forth. But that's not fundamental to what we believe in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? The things that we do know, be confident in it. Be confident in in what you do know from the Lord. Not arrogant, but confident. The truth that He's clearly taught you from His Word. Don't be confused. Don't be uncertain. Don't be, and this is going to sound really out of touch with the world today. I'm kind of glad it is out of touch with the world today. Don't be open-minded to everything within the church. Be open-minded only to the truth into the Lord, into His Word. And when I know something, listen y'all, if I'm standing in the truth, let's say, we'll pick a truth, but the blood of Jesus washes away my sins. And I'm standing in that truth. The Word of God says it. The Holy Ghost bears witness. That's the truth. I know it. Alright? Somebody else here within Christianity has a different take on that. What's going to happen if I entertain that? What's going to happen if I give heed to that? There's only one direction I can go. I'm already in the truth, right? There's only one direction I can go. Even if it's ever so slightly, there's only one direction I can go. And that's off. Right? Don't be open-minded. I'm talking about, somebody says, you know, you've never tried to eat this food before. Cook it this way. If you want to be open-minded to that, to that go for it. There's nothing... I've never tried it like that. I've never tried soaking it in water before and put it on the grill. Okay? Well, try it this time. Okay? Soak it in water and then put it on the... That's fine. But things, when I know that I'm in the truth, and I'm going to say, okay, I'll give heed to this over here because I want to be respectful, right? And, and, and they say they love Jesus too. There's only one direction I can go. You can call it arrogant if you choose to. I don't. I don't call it arrogant. I call it wise. And I call it being steadfast. And I call it earnestly contending for the faith. And standing upon what we know to be true. If Jesus says my doctrine's not my own, and I'm going to play like it is my own, and I can trade cards, you know, like baseball cards, I'll give you two of these, and you give me that with doctrine, not going to happen. Not going to happen. I'm already in the truth. As far as the the truth that I know. I don't claim to be the sole keeper of all biblical truth. Nor do we claim to be the the spiritual gatekeepers of every spiritual truth and mystery. But what I do know from the Holy Ghost and from the Word of God, I will absolutely stand there. 
And I won't bend, and I won't bend that much on it. And you're not to bend that much on it either, because there's only one direction to go if I bend on that. If there are things I don't know, God teach me. Be humble. God teach me. I don't understand this from the scriptures. I really don't see it. I don't understand it. I know I've talked about this before. I had always, in my Christianity, and I didn't really get serious about the Lord till my last semester at LSU. Really committed to the Lord, uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Everything, tr- my life was transformed at that point. I had always been taught by the believers I was around from that point forward, the people that I respected in the, in the Lord, that there was, there was a rapture of the church. And I always believed it. And I believe it was before the tribulation. Because that's what I've been taught, but I never studied it. I became a pastor and a minister. And one day I was saying, you know, I've always been taught that. What if that's really... I respect the people that have taught me that. But it was something in me that I needed to be convinced myself. And I didn't run to a bunch of people. I went to the Lord. And I went to the Bible. I went to some good resources, Bible resources, and I began to study. And as I began to study, God began to teach me. And He taught me there is a rapture, and it is before the tribulation. That's just an example. This, this sermon is not about a preacher of rapture. The sermon is about the things we don't know and are not sure about. If we'll ask God and go before the Lord, I will say this in His timing. He will make known that thing to us. If He wants us to know it, He will make it known to us in His timing, by His Spirit, by His Word, and we won't be unsure about it. We won't be wavering on it. We won't be double-minded about it. And we'll be able to hold to it. And and y'all, I'm just going to give some examples. Y'all, please hang, hang with me this morning. This is the whole thought for this morning. Without question, we have to contend for the faith. Struggle for it. Titus 1.9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Okay, qualifications of a deacon or bishop there. I forgot which. Hold fast the word as he's been taught. That, by his sound doctrine, he can basically combat people that don't believe rightly. That means we have responsibility to do that. To know it. Not only to know it and say, well, I'm just in my little circle over here and I'll just hang out with them that do. As God, as the faith is attacked, we need to contend for it. Okay? And if it seems like we spent a lot of time over here on this, maybe that's what's being attacked the most right now. And so we spend at this season or this year or this month or whatever, spending more time on this. But we're to struggle for the truth. Y'all, we're living in an era, and this is not a private interpretation, by the way. It's clearly taught in the Scriptures. We're living in an era or a time of deception. We're living in a time <clears throat> of compromise. Talk about within the church. The world's already lost and needs Jesus. Okay? So let's just talk about the church or what's called the church. And they said the church is a blend in the world's eyes, the church is a blend of true believer, believers and, and false, you know, those that aren't. But we're living in a time of compromise. We're living in a time of ambiguity. 
where things are vague and ambiguous and half-truths and seducing spirits and, and doctrines of devils and of men that men have come up with. A time when one of the greatest Christian virtues, I don't call it this, but a lot of people do. If you were to say by the, the church as a whole today, what calls itself the church, what's one of the greatest Christian virtues, it'd be the same thing that the world would say, tolerance. When did that become one of the greatest Christian virtues? Well, were all the early church and all of the disciples beheaded or crucified upside down because they were so tolerant? When did that become a Christian virtue or value? Tolerance to other ideas. Tolerance to those in other Christian circles who believe differently than we do. Tolerance in giving serious heed or credence or validity to other doctrinal beliefs, even though they're clearly opposed to Scripture. When did that become a great Christian virtue? Never. It's a worldly virtue. It's not a Christian virtue. Oh, don't judge their beliefs. Who's to say you're right and they're wrong? You need to give proper respect to their differences and their doctrines that they hold to. Again, when did this become such a model Christian behavior? It did not. You won't find it in the Bible. You will find patience and love and, and, and gentleness and kindness and the golden rule and treating people as you want to be treated. Yes, absolutely. But my doctrine is not my own, Jesus said. Neither is it your own or my own. We can compromise on, we want to four lane this road or five lane it, put a turn, two turn lane in the middle. You know what I'm saying? Compromise on that. Come to some kind of consensus and build a road. But we don't compromise on this. We're not given that choice. We're not given that right. We're not given that prerogative. I remember hearing, and I don't even have to say his name, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Uh, Ten years ago, maybe more than that, biggest TV evangelist, huge church, being interviewed on Larry King about, well, what about the, homo, uh, the, the interviewer, never claims to be a Christian, says to this man who is a pastor and claims to be a Christian, what about, uh, what about all people of other beliefs? What about the Hindus and the Muslims? And, you know, Christians say that the, Jesus is the only way and Hindus don't believe that. And the, what do you think about that? Now, in, in the sports terms, this would be like a, a fat pitch right down the middle. Okay? Even I could hit it. Okay? Hit that one. Take advantage of that opportunity. The interviewer laid it in your lap. You're a Christian, right? You're a pastor. So what does the, the minister say? He says, I don't know about all that. I'm paraphrasing. This part I don't think I'm paraphrasing. All I know is that all, a lot of those Hindus and Muslims and so forth, they really love God. It's all I really do know. A lot of people of other religions that really love God. That's a lie. They don't know the Lord. They can know Him. He can save them out of that. He loves them all. He loves them. But to say that all I know, I don't know about all that stuff about Jesus having being the only way. 
All I know is that there are a lot of people of these other religions that genuinely love God. What does the Bible say? There's none that understand. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We have one true living God. If we're not going to believe this, what are we going to believe? A seminary teacher? But he's a man or a woman. That's a person. They're fallible. This is infallible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Okay? Don't judge their beliefs. Who's to say who's right and wrong? Christianity is not summed up in tolerance as the greatest virtue. What you do see from a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to love God with all of our heart. We are to love our enemies. We're to love our neighbor as strangers, as ourselves, like on the Jericho Road, right? The man that was wounded. We are to pray for those who persecute us. We are to uh, be faithful to God. We're to go the extra mile. We're to bend over backwards to help people. We're to follow the golden rule, which actually is not... That phrase is not in the Bible, but do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is in the Bible. Yes, we're to do all those things. Christians are to be kind. Christians, Christians are to treat others, even if we disagree with them or they with us, the way we would like to be treated. We ought to be meek. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We are to be humble. We are to uh, not be rude, crude, arrogant, unkind, unloving. We're to be patient with those that don't understand. Patient. Aren't you glad God's patient with you? Aren't you glad that people representing Christ have been patient with you? I just don't get it. I just don't see the rapture in the scriptures. Be patient. Well, you ought to see this right here. Hit me with the Bible. You know, no, don't let God teach. He will teach. And when he's through, that individual will be walking in the truth. But having said all that about patience and kindness and so forth, we must be governed by the Holy Spirit at all times. There are things we don't understand. There's things that others don't perfectly understand. Don't act like you do. I'm a pastor. I should know everything, right? If somebody asks me what about this and I don't know it, I'm going to say, I don't know. It's one of the greatest things I learned about going to teach in the prisons. Because a lot of times, a lot of the guys were there and some were there to earn it, you know, for a good, sincere reason to learn and be taught and grow. Some were there because they didn't ever get to talk to anybody. And it was a time to come start up a good argument and show what books they've been reading and to, you know, spew out a lot of things and to start arguments. Some were honestly there for that reason. And if somebody asks me something I don't know, rather than me making it up because I'm the Bible answer man and saying I know this, I would say I don't know that. I tell you what I will do. I'm coming back in a week or a month or whatever. I'm going to go study that and try to come back with an answer. Don't act like you know something spiritually if you don't. But I will say this equally as true. If you do know something to be true, don't act like you don't know it. Don't bend on it. Don't concede it. Don't give it over. Well, you know why? Because we'd rather get along with them than contend for the truth. I'd rather not be, you know, a reject within a circle of pastors. So I'm going to agree with them or act like I agree with them to be more tolerant. We're not called to do that. Don't bend. Don't concede. The Bible says speaking the truth in love. That's how we do it. A lot of people speak the truth. They don't do it in love. 
lot of people, people speak what seems lovingly, but they don't speak the truth. We're to speak the truth in love at all times. If I'm preaching, preaching I mean speaking to a, a group of people that have a different doctrine, if I'm witnessing to somebody, if I'm speaking to a church member, if I'm speaking to uh, somebody like Brother Clendenin who has been uh, serving the Lord, so speak the truth in love. That's what we're called to do. Speak the truth in love. And God helps us. You know what it means when it says that we're not to uh, waver. That we're to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Wavering has a real interesting definition. It means to hesitate, to doubt, to withdraw from, to stagger, to be partial. So let's say I'm meeting with a couple of other pastors and they don't believe in the rapture. Uh, and I'm meeting with them. I'm not to withdraw from. It says don't waver on sound doctrine. I'm not to withdraw from that. In other words, I'm going to back up three steps on my stance on the rapture. And we'll find some place where we can both agree. And then we can be happy together. I don't, again, I don't have that right I don't have that uh, privilege. The Lord has not given me that. That's not my calling. I don't claim to have perfect knowledge of all the scriptures, but I do claim to know what I do know. I do claim to know what the Holy Ghost by the word of God has taught me and revealed to me. And I absolutely must stand upon that. I'm not to bend on that. And not to bend on it even slightly. Again, because I would rather... Why do people bend? Why do people bend? Because they're embarrassed? Or they're, they, they don't want to be disliked? Preachers are no different. They want to have a Christian group of guys they can go ahead and leave lunch with once a month. What if I can't find too many guys to go out and eat lunch with once a month? I'm not able to find. If God will send them, I'll go eat lunch with them. I want to have fellowship. Don't, don't set, we're not to set ourselves up as being isolationist. We're not to set ourselves up as being, the, again, the, the gatekeepers of the truth. And it's cornerstone or nothing. If, again, if we start to get that way, leave. Take me with you, by the way. Okay? But we're not to, we're not to bend on what we do know to be true. That's not, that's not a Christian virtue. I'm going to close with just a few scriptures and a few examples. But say I'm meeting with some other people, another church, another pastor, another group of believers. I want to work with them. I want to serve God with them. We hold so many things common. Well, God will have to show us, you know, which, which churches and groups we can work with and so forth. And we work with a lot of churches over the years. But let's say I'm meeting with somebody and they say, uh, I believe... Another pastor. I believe we're in the millennium right now. And I say, hmm. You believe Satan's bound right now? Yeah, I believe all that's figurative. The church is just walking in dominion. You think Christ is sitting on his throne in Jerusalem right now on the earth? You think the lion and the lamb are feeding together and lying down together? You think that, uh, that there's no more war? That people have beaten their swords into plowshares. This is, do you think we're in the millennium right now? 
Well, let me, you know what? You got some really good points. Let me give heed to that. What have I just done? I've set myself up. I don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that we're in the millennium now is because we're not in the millennium now. I don't believe we're in the millennium now because the Bible says we're not. The, the description of the millennium is not the description that's on the earth now. The millennium we know for a fact has to happen after the second coming of the Lord. When the nations are aligned against Israel to wipe it off the map, led by Antichrist, and he comes back on a white horse and the saints of God are following him back to the earth. Then he establishes a reign of a thousand years. Six times in the first, I think six verses of, of, of Revelation 20, the, the phrase a thousand years is used. Satan is bound for a thousand years. Then he's loosed. My point is, if I give heed to that, because I don't want to lose face with this pastor or this church, or I want to be, I want to be asked to preach in their church. I have compromised what is not mine to compromise. As much as I wish that we had the same belief, on that we don't. Am I saying that we should not have fellowship with any church that doesn't believe exactly like we do? No, I'm not saying that. God will have to show us the things that that we could, could work on and worth and so forth. But you know, you couldn't imagine Paul in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, saying, you know, to the church of Galatia, and, and remember how Judaizers came in and deceived the people after he left? What if Paul had caught up with those Judaizers and say, you know what? You Judaizers just have some really good points. You got some great, I know you love God, and, and we can work together on some things. You got some good points. He would never have done that. He would never have done that. Because it wasn't his doctrine. There's life in doctrine. The life of God in doctrine. Good doctrine. Sound doctrine. There were continue, continuing it. You cannot compromise that much. Nor can I on what we do. Know. Don't claim to know it all because we don't. But what we do know, walk in it. Stand firm in that. Be patient, be kind, be loving, be respectful. Pray for your enemies, pray for those that disagree. Be, be respectful. But don't go there. Don't follow after their teachings and so forth. When we start to do this, even slightly, y'all, we compromise on what God has clearly taught us, we're in trouble. We're not only heading for trouble, we're in trouble. Because we've taken something that was truth and something that was invaluable and something that was non-negotiable and we've made it negotiable. Don't do it. Be strong in the faith. Struggle and contend for the faith. It's not a popularity contest. How many of you know that? Christianity today somehow has become a popularity contest. Talk about within Christian circles. This pastor wants to be accepted here. He wants his books to be sold across the board here. He wants other pastors to praise him. Uh, and, and it just on and on it snowballs. Where's God in all that? I don't see him in all that. The apostles weren't popular. They've turned the world upside down, but they were beheaded or crucified or imprisoned or beaten or stoned or mocked or ridiculed. It's not a popularity contest. D, you can come up. I'm closing with a couple of scriptures here. 
you would turn in your Bibles, I'll close with this passage. 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. Timothy 4, 13 through 16. Till I come. Paul's writing to Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, one of his own disciples. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You know what this is? This is contending for the faith and really being prepared to contend for the faith. Neglect not the gift that is in, in thee, which was given thee in, by prophecy with the laying on of hands by the Presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Take heed to it. Stay in it. Walk in it. Continue in it. By doing this, you're going to keep yourself where you need to be in Christ. And you're going to be able to help literally save other people. Either going into a false doctrine or they don't know Jesus or whatever it may be. You'll be able to. People are criticized today that stand for the Bible and try to stand for the Bible as being the doctrine police. Legalistic. Pharisaical. You can throw all those terms out that you want. But in the Bible... That's called somebody a soldier of the cross, a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's wisdom. That's following it after the Lord. Be humble, though. Be humble. Be humble before God and man, but don't bend. Be humble before God and men, but don't bend. And I said I had one more scripture out loud. I got one more. I'm just going to read this in 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4. If you're right there, look at it. If any man teach otherwise... Here's an instruction. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, he is proud. Somebody teaches contrary to wholesome, which means healthy doctrine. He is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and stripes of words, whereof, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. We'll just stop right there. And so uh, John says, I think in Second John, don't even receive such a one into your house if they're preaching a false doctrine. I'm not talking, again, this one wants to do contemporary Christian music and this one wants to do hymns. I'm talking about somebody that would preach a false doctrine don't even say God bless you and receive them into your house. That's what the Bible says. And so, y'all, we have to take it seriously. We have to contend for the faith. The last thing that Peter, I mean, that Paul told Timothy before he was beheaded, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. I know I've been long this morning. I thank y'all for being uh, patient. But y'all, the, the altar's open. We're just living in such a time where, again, the greatest Christian virtue supposedly is tolerance. And it's not. 
It's not. Stand strong in what you know. The things we don't know, ask God to teach us. It can be taught by another believer what we don't know. I'm not too proud to be taught by another believer something I don't know. But I'm not going to bend on what I do know no matter who else doesn't agree with it or believe it. Father, we come before you. In Jesus' name, all the altars open. If you want to come, ask for strength. Ask for forgiveness. Maybe you haven't contended for the faith. Maybe you've compromised. Come to the altar for just a moment and get with the Lord. Father, we, we pray that we would be men and women that earnestly contend for thee faith. What a privilege, God, to stand in the truth, to know the truth, to be led by the spirit of truth into all truth and to proclaim that truth to others in the church and outside of the church. What we don't have a privilege to do is compromise. Forgive me where I have. Forgive us as a church body, not just this local church, but true Christians that have compromised in order to get along well with men, to be accepted in Christian circles. Forgive us, God. Help us and strengthen us, Lord, in Jesus' name.